Hi, everybody. This is Bob Allen, Vice President of Sales for the East with NAVCO National Security Integrators. I'd like to welcome you to Kaba's podcast series, where we address various topics related to connected homes. In today's episode, we'll talk about extending the smart grid to consumers. And I have the great privilege of being with Ken Wax. Uh, actually, I should say, I'm sorry, Dr. Ken Wax. It's great to be with you, uh, Management Engineering Consultant. How are you today? Very well, Bob. Thank you very much uh, for introducing me and the topic. Yeah, my pleasure. Um, we're going to discuss today, the two of us, the ins and outs uh, of the smart grid, kind of some of the things people trip and fall over, uh, some of the things that people are doing well with the smart grid and what that means to consumers. Uh, and offer basically listeners, you're going to have a great look at what Ken has to offer today uh, from Insight. If you're new to CABA, CABA stands for the Continental Automated Buildings Association. Uh, we're an international nonprofit trade association that focuses on connected homes and intelligent buildings. CABA provides value to its members through networking, industry, presence, research, and information. So if you're not aware of CABA, please take a minute to uh, hit the website. It's uh, CABA.org uh, and consider joining the organization. Both Ken and I actually uh, have roles there. I'm the chair of the Intelligent Building Council. And Ken, I forget your title within. I know you're responsible for white papers, but what's your title within CABA? I uh, chair the uh, White Papers Committee for the Intelligent Buildings Council and the Connected Homes Council. And I chair the Publication Review Committee that uh, reviews papers published elsewhere, uh, vetting them as appropriate for CABA members. And that leads us right in because CABA does a lot of work on research, including uh, they call them landmark research projects, both in the intelligent building and the consumer space. Uh, so listeners, you want to check that out, uh, both for an opportunity to be able to be a sponsor on those research projects and get your name associated with Connected Homes Technology, uh, and also as a, as a reader to learn from industry peers. Uh, so that being said, hey, Ken, why don't you introduce yourself and set the stage for our conversation today about smart grids? Well, thank you very much, Bob. I uh, run a management consulting practice that was started many years ago, goes back to the mid-'80s, our focus has been on home automation, building control systems, and energy management and digital media networks. <clears throat> uh, we serve a lot of private clients, more than 150, but also have a public-facing side where uh, I'm responsible for the uh, National Standards Committee in the United States on energy management applied to uh, Homes. I also chair the International Standards Committee under the auspices of ISO and IEC, both in Geneva, Switzerland, doing the world standards in this field. The objective of both national and international standards is to foster business development. And in particular, ISO and IEC have a mission of fostering international trade. So these are all voluntary committees. Uh, where uh, companies and send experts to help develop the national and the world standards. Very impressive. Thanks for sharing that. I mean, so we could sum that up by you might know a thing or two. <laughs> what a great pleasure again to have you on here. Uh, so extending the smart grid to consumers, uh, before it gets to consumers, it starts somewhere. What is a smart grid and how does it get from that to the consumer? Well, let's start with a conventional grid. We've all lived with the electric power system that's been in place for all of the 20th century. 
it's had spectacular growth in the 20th century so that now just about everyone is served by electricity uh, it took a while in the United States to cover everyone, including the uh, farmlands. And uh, I would say by the mid-century, around the 1950s, we finally electrified just about the entire country. The system that we're all familiar with has been running, as engineers would say, open loop, which means that uh, if there were a failure somewhere, the electric utility generally did not know it until there was a, uh, a power failure that affected enough people that they got enough complaints indicating they had a, a problem that needed attention. The idea of a smart grid is to instrument the grid with sensors and a communication network to provide what engineers call wide area situational awareness so that there were more sort of eyes by the utility managers on the grid. So that in a nutshell is what a smart grid is. It's a grid that, that where the, the engineers have more insight into what's happening. You know, I am shocked by one thing you said, well, many things, but the one thing that stuck out to me, I didn't realize it took till the mid fifties to, to electrify all of the United States. That seems like it took a long time to do. Well, in the early days of the utility industry, there were uh, municipal electric companies dominated the landscape. There are still 2000 municipal electric companies in the United States. Uh, during the Depression, the uh, Roosevelt administration created the National Rural Electrical Co-op. These were uh, a cooperative association, which in turn spawned co-ops all over the country, primarily in the farmlands. There are rural co-ops now in every state in the union. There's about a thousand co-ops. In fact, every state except Massachusetts, which had already been electrified. So 49 states had pockets without electricity and the co-ops filled those gaps. Hmm, that's the, really interesting. So the name brand utilities we're familiar with like uh, Pacific Gas and Electric, Consolidated, Edison, Florida Power and Light, there are about a hundred of the uh, investor-owned utilities. They came along in the 1920s and been quite successful. They provide about 75% of the power in the country, but uh, there's still 3,000 additional utilities serving smaller entities. The largest uh, muni is Los Angeles Power and uh, Water. Crazy. And you'd mentioned that, uh, you know, the back in the day, it was a loop system. So one thing fails, basically everything fails. Are we more of a self-healing grid now? Uh, where it's we're heading in that direction, but a, a wor word to the wise, if your lights go out, don't assume the electric company knows about it. They know about it. <laughs> Note <enough>. taken. <laughs> yeah, when enough lights go out so it reaches a substation, they'll get an idea. But uh, if your lights go out, give them a call. Definitely for sure. And so that's great, uh, a great uh, educational foundation for our conversation yet uh, moving forward here. It's wonderful to know what's going on in the grid, but that doesn't really, other than if the lights are out, that doesn't really impact how a smart grid helps me as a homeowner here, in my case, in Connecticut. So where do we, we must go from the grid and somehow get to the edge. What does that do for us? Well, getting to the edge is where the action is now. 
what's happening is the cost of local generation from solar panels and in some cases wind turbines has been falling quite dramatically, especially the cost of solar panels. Uh, what prompted it was the tragedy of Fukushima in Japan in around 2011-2012. Uh, right after the tragedy, the uh, Japanese government was really in a pickle because their nuclear power plants were affected and there was great concern it would jeopardize the nuclear power industry. So they uh, started a campaign to promote uh, solar power. The Chinese responded by uh, looking at ways to uh, lower the cost of manufacturing panels and they competed with developers in the US. And this uh, flurry of competition has continued with falling prices for solar panels to the point that we're now seeing a shift from what was a few trial projects that the utilities sort of indulged but never paid attention to, to something that's really starting to upset the traditional way of distributing electricity. More and more consumers are putting in solar panels on individual houses or even shared solar panels in uh, housing developments and communities. The state of California is now mandating solar installation in new home construction. This is what I call shifting to the edge of the utility. So the, uh, uh, when it's, sorry to interrupt you, Ken, but um, what is, is the edge my meter? Is the edge the solar panel? Is the, the edge my light bulb in the house? basically behind the meter. The so everything on the consumer side of the meter. The utility domain traditionally has included generators, transmission lines, which are the wires on the steel pole, on the steel towers, distribution lines, which are the wires on what we call telephone poles, the wooden poles usually, and the meters. That was the power industry. It went from generator to what's called T&D to meters. The customer edge is beyond the meter, an area where utilities generally have not focused. They considered the end of their their demarcation line was the meter. What happened beyond the meter was the customer's domain and the customer's expense. What happened in front of the meter, that was the utility's concern. And the meter was the cash register for the utility. Don't I know that? <laughs> yeah, and I hear this buzzword all the time, but I don't really understand it or know what it means. Maybe you can help me out with it. What are prosumers? Prosumers, well, now that we have solar panels, the issue is that in a sunny day, we may be generating more electricity than we need in our house. What do we do with that? Uh, obviously, we can just turn it into heat and throw it away. Uh, but uh, utilities have been prompted by some governments, like state regulators, to set up a program where the utility buys back the excess power and basically sends it uh, upstream into the power grid to be available to other users like neighbors that don't have solar panels. A prosumer is a consumer who has excess power and is called a producer slash consumer shortened to prosumer. The, uh, Should that be the goal of all homeowners? Pardon me? Should that be the goal of all homeowners to be a prosumer? 
Yes, because it makes them a little money, but the consumer doesn't have the last word in this. It's basically the state regulators who decide uh, whether utilities will be required to buy the excess and what they'll pay for the excess. So it comes down to a business proposition, whether you will become a prosumer and whether it's in your financial interest to become a prosumer. That's interesting because there's no negotiation on how much I'm willing to pay for the power coming in off the lines. <laughs> now, that brings up a very interesting opportunity, Bob. The Department of Energy, about 10 years ago, started to investigate the idea of transactive energy. The concept, which is more in the talking stage with a few trials, that if I have excess power and you need power, and we're, say, uh, neighbors, but I can't throw a wire over the fence to you, but you're mm -hmm. down the street, that you and I would work a financial deal, and I would then use the, uh, the existing wires to put my excess on it, and you would take the excess off. Now, clearly, we don't paint the electrons, and you don't get my electrons, right. but the fact I'm putting excess in and you're taking some out we work a financial deal called transactive energy and you pay me and I deliver the electricity as opposed to the electricity, the electric company paying me. Now, right now, the only game in town for excess power in some states is the power grid or the electric company. Sure. In the future, the Department of Energy thinks there'll be opportunities for, say, homeowners or homeowner associations to sell the ex excess maybe to other homeowners, maybe to a nearby industrial park, and maybe into the grid to be purchased by the utility or to be purchased by an aggregator, a new type of company that buys and sells excess power. That almost is the concept of microgrids, isn't it? Just you're doing it on a exactly. much smaller level. So how do microgrids get around that or fall into play here? The real question is, what's the future going to look like? Right now, the utility has got a central generators, a, a fair number, but countable, like 10, 20, couple of hundred scattered around, and millions and millions of customers. We see the future as having these customers organize themselves into microgrids, have microgrids in, interconnected with other microgrids, and have the utilities play into this environment of microgrids as yet another source of power in that uh, milieu of a grid of a microgrid network of microgrids yeah so uh, i think this all sounds great and obviously if i pay a dollar to the utility company it's too much you know nobody wants to spend money on utilities uh and i like the microgrid concept where say a neighborhood becomes responsible for their own power uh, but where's the accountability lie someone hits a phone pole on my street and knocks out a transformer but it's the association i'll call it's a microgrid then what well the real issue is how how is the how are the utilities going to arrange themselves as a thriving business now uh a case in point is the state of Massachusetts about 20 years ago was the first state in, in the United States to split apart the uh, operators so that generation is decoupled from the utility. Mm -hmm. So the utility runs. The we can shop for the power. 
Yes, the utility runs the transmission and distribution grid and does the metering and billing, but they go to ISO New England, that's the independent system operator in New England that has the, the management of the generating plants and makes a market in electricity and offers the market to the operators. So they could very well extend their market making capabilities to uh, microgrid operators. And the utility who now maintains the TND and metering could choose to extend their business to manage to maintaining microgrids. So when that uh, driver hits the pole and knocks down the microgrid in your housing community, you might still call upon the local utility who's got a service agreement with your microgrid yeah. to keep it up and running. Interesting concept, and I totally get it. We do that in so many other areas of our lives, uh, certainly in the commercial space where you have a maintenance contract on your HVAC, and even at home, the home warranty programs. So uh, all these different things are, are similar. So I can totally see that being a um, being an option the, out there. The real issue is... Um, this is sort of an alien concept to most utilities and they have to get used to it. Uh, some are embracing uh, the, ex the extension of the grid beyond the meter, others that, but I think the writing's on the wall. Um, what's a big motivation right now is the rate shock we're all enduring with the high cost of fossil fuels. And that's a real impetus for people to look to alternatives. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the sun isn't the sun isn't going to raise its rates. So from the beginning, <laughs> isn't that the truth? Um, when I think of utility, I think of complete lack of control. You know, they if that power doesn't come to my meter, I don't have lights. I have no say in that. But it really feels like, from what you're describing to me, there's a shift here. So who does the consumer have more control than they've had in, in historically in the past? <laughs> the we are putting in place a regime and standards to give consumers the control they need to manage their local generation and manage their storage and decide whether they go to the marketplace to buy at power through transactive energy or whether they go to an aggregator or they go to the public utility. What the consumer needs is premises-based automation. In other words, they need electronics at their house or in their apartment building to balance their sources of energy, be it local energy or microgrid energy or public grid energy, and decide what their priorities for appliance operation is and decide how to source the power, where to distribute the power, and all this is subject to their budget, what they're willing to pay, and subject to other concerns they might have, say, reducing their greenhouse gas emissions and, and contributing their part to mitigating climate change. What we're developing internationally is a concept called the energy management agent. This, an agent, you know, represents someone else. In this case, this is a piece of electronics that represents our desires to achieve what I just described without having to be an engineer. So we want all the smarts of the engineer put into this energy management agent, which you can think of as a 
of sophisticated, maybe artificial intelligent controller that helps run your house and keep your energy bill at a reasonable expected level. That's crazy, you know, because we talk, we've been talking about that for, for decades in the uh, commercial industrial space. I mean, things like demand response come into play. Everything's automated through energy management systems. So now I need to think of my home almost as a business. Can I make yeah, energy? Can I sell energy? How much do I consume? And look at an energy management tool, uh, an automated and artificial intelligence system to help me optimize that. You're exactly right, Bob. The demand response systems that you may be familiar with in in companies uh, requires some effort by the company to maybe hire an engineer to manage the electricity costs for the company. Consumers can't afford all that, so that's why this has to be bundled in uh, just like another piece of consumer electronics in your house. In fact, you may not buy a separate box labeled an energy management agent. It could be bundled in with a a, a control system that uh, is part of your uh, set-top box, part of your uh, mm-hmm. home lighting system, home entertainment system. I was going to say, right through your TV, an app on your TV. Who knows? Yeah, exactly. Yep. So, Ken, we only have a minute or two left here. Um, and I think we we're heading in this direction, but really briefly, what is the role of consumer electronic companies in helping us with energy management? Well, if you ask the electric company, what do they offer in, for example, demand response? They may give you, they may say they have one program. Maybe they have a couple of programs that'll control your water heater, they control your air conditioner, but they don't give you uh, the same experiences you get when you go to a big box store shopping for a television. It comes in 10 different sizes with different types of remote controls with different uh, varieties of smart TVs and different uh, uh, apps that you can link to on your smartphone. That's the whole idea of bringing consumer electronics into the energy space. They know what we like in terms of user interface, and they can make our experience more friendly and seamless. Right, and you know we don't have time to get into this, but then you have your Alexas and your SmartThings hubs and all of these uh, home integration products or solutions that can help tie the systems in. Again, optimize performance, lower uh, consumption, all that. So what a great future we have in store here uh, on the energy side, uh, as well as many other fronts, uh, to really make our lives better, lower the cost of living, and impact the environment in, a, in such a, a positive way. Uh, I, so- am, I am fairly optimistic that in spite of the uh, difficulties we're facing this year with the uh, rate shock we've experienced and the cost of uh, gasoline and fuel and travel, I think this will all work out. And I think with the plummeting cost of uh, solar panels, we're going to see a major shift towards electric vehicles and more local power generation. Love it. Can't wait. Uh, Ken, let's wrap this up uh, again one more time very quickly. Tell me about your management and engineering consulting um, and maybe a, a quick little highlight of where of what your impact would be to someone listening. If your company is looking to get into the home systems business, building automation business, digital networking business, I work with business executives to help them find their way through this confusing technology and make this technology understandable and actionable. Uh, 
if you get into problems with, uh, say, uh, patent litigation or conflicts like that, I also serve as an expert witness. Basically, I help executives sort their way through the morass of confusing technologies so they can develop profitable products. Thank you so much. And again, I am Bob Allen with uh, NAVCO, a national security integrator. If you have security needs uh, for multi-facility locations across uh, the U.S. and Canada, please do not hesitate to reach out to me as well. My contact information as well as Ken's is on the Cabo website. Uh, Ken, I can't thank you enough for spending the time with us. And you said something that, that again hit home even in your closing statement, making things understandable for everyone, for the lay people. I learned so much today talking to you that, you know, in hindsight, I've heard these huge buzzwords, didn't know what the heck they mean, but boy, you chopped that up and made me understand what it is I have to look forward to in my own house. And hopefully uh, our listeners feel the same way. Uh, Ken Wax, PhD, management and engineering consultant. Thank you again for being on Kaba's Connected Home podcast. A pleasure, Bob. Enjoyed the time with you. Thank you.